Old Gold Club. Powered by Blythe Group. With Mikey Burrows and Chris Iwalumo. So hello there, uh, welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows, he's Chris Alamo. Melly is, is our guest today, All right, Mel? Uh, we'll Hi, get, Mikey. We'll get, Hi, to, you, we'll get to you in just a second, my friend. Um, we have to kind of clear something up before we get into anything else. Don't worry, it's nothing nothing that you've done. It's something that Are he's done. for me again? Well, what is this about? Basically, um, on a previous episode, Mel, uh, well, uh, across a lot of episodes this year, we've talked about Looms Became a Dad Again. And uh, he had a boy this time, which he named after me, which was which was really sweet of him. I, I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> and so uh, for uh, a lovely Christmas present, a little bit late, admittedly, wasn't my fault, but um, a little bit late, I got him a lovely gift. We did. Which was uh, a, a T-shirt like the one I'm wearing now. Um, my one now from my mate, uh, Paul Maskew, by the way. I am Logo Paul. What a legend. Uh, this is my Dangerous Dave T-shirt I'm wearing today. People will see that when the episode comes out. Um, I got him one of his own. Of myself, when well, I was captain, captain at Wolves. And 19. Got my goal, yeah. And he, uh, there was a matching one for his son. Baby girl. Lovely, really lovely. Have I seen a picture of him wearing it? No. Uh, my missus... Ha, have, has friend. he even put it on his child? The child well, that bears on, my name? Has been on. It has been on. I'll get Jade, How do I know I'll this? get Jade to send you the picture. How do I know this? Yeah, I can see that you... All the effort I went to for this. So you, really has, put, you really put out to him, Mikey. He's, done, he's done well. He does. <laughs> he does well. Year in, year out, he does well. He puts me to shame. But uh, yeah, the picture. He's, we have actually worn it together. So um, uh, the picture will come to you later on. I got him a, a mug as well. well. I say I got him a mug. Paul got him a mug, but still, I so passed it on. So basically, puts in the order to Paul, and Paul's the one that puts in all the 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 the, the, the kind of the tears, the sweat, and the. He does all the Well, work, he's a very he? good, uh, very good designer. Yeah, he, I, I followed. I fo- he followed me after uh, your little, uh, my little boomerang. So I've, I've, I've thanked him for the the hard work he's put in. But you know that I love you, Mikey. Like you say, you've, I named my son after you. So that should that should be love enough. Can we just cut? That we're just going to save that bit that he's just said. He's just admitted it that he named his son after me. Well, it's it's um, it's it's Rome Christopher no, 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 Michael. No, 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 you just so he's got a, he's got in there. He's got in there. You're in there, Mikey. That's because on the previous episode he claimed that it was to do with his Mrs. Dad. Well, it's also, he's now just it's also, said it's me. It's also my Mrs. Dad's name, Michael. I thought I had to respect him as well because he's got two daughters and that name doesn't go on. But Mikey's he's always going to be there and he's got a place in my heart, hasn't he? Absolutely, special relationship. Guys. Mel, you know the people you work with, like when you work with Mike Taylor. Yeah. Do, do you know? Do you get him gifts and he doesn't get you anything back? No, I just worship Mike Taylor. Oh, yeah, you just, worship him, yeah. I think yeah. he's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I worship you, Mikey. Oh, thanks, that's mate. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> um, I, I say we mentioned you do a lot of the radio these days. I, I see you all the time. It's it's the thing of, like, I've taken this long to get you in because I do talk to you all the time. Mainly, <laughs> mainly I talk to you about um, the scandalous things you get up to in the press room uh, up and down the he's country. He's told me all about this, Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah. such a svelte fit-looking lad that I still am, and yourself, uh, Chris. Um, Mikey just can't believe that we have to sample the hospitality at the the various events and clubs that we go to, and even at the home games. He's astonished. They just bring me my own plate out. He's like Alan Partridge. He's got his own plate. (laughs) It's bigger than everybody else's. (laughs) Comes in a special case. (laughs) 
what what really surprised me it's like you are you're a man with with many talents aren't you really you know i think obviously football aside after football financial advisor agent and it's one of those things that competitive eating yeah, yeah, it's one of them looking well, looking very well. Six so, courses well, at Brighton well, the week, it, by the way. Was there always a plan? When you were playing football, did you know what was coming after? Did you? Because a lot of players think they can play forever. And it's yeah. one of those things, were you aware that it was going to come to an end at some point and you had to be ready for whatever came? Well, literally now, Chris, because I, fi- I finished probably five years before I, I'd expected to finish because I was always probably one of the, the fittest lads in the squad. Um, so I was thinking, yeah, like 35 to 40. And then when I ruptured my Achilles when I was 27, that kind of... But I was still determined to carry on. That's, But I carried on, but I, I never got as fit again. Yeah. And so it was fitness with other things other than the, um, the ruptured Achilles that kind of slowed me down. And then I had to finish when I was 31, 32, which was a long time before I'd planned to finish. Yeah. So I got thrust into, I couldn't get another contract, even though I wanted to. So I thought, well, I've got to do something. Um, and that's when I just went to be a financial advisor. Because right. the one yeah. thing I could do at school other than kick a ball about was I could add up. Because I'd got, you know, I was pretty good at maths. And I got on with people quite well. Didn't yeah. upset too many. So yeah. that was the kind of thing that I did to start with. And then um, that led to doing the the agency after that. Right. Yeah. Okay. The rupture of the Achilles. It's one of. The, I was just talking about this the other day. I remember it was uh, was it Tim Clancy up at St Johnson. Is he was a couple of meters from me, and it's a, and it's like someone claps or there's a gun go. It's just like yeah. a bang, isn't there? Yeah. Was, was that? How, exactly. did you, were you feeling something beforehand, or was it just no, out? no, Chris? I didn't feel anything. It was at it was at Watford. Yeah. Um, 12 minutes past three, 5th of May, 1984. I don't remember it that well. <laughs> and um, John Burridge was in goal, and his goal kick launched it. I'm going up with the centre-back, because I was playing centre-forward then, not not wide. Yeah. And um, I heard as if I'd then collapsed. I'd heard a gunshot, what I thought was a gunshot, and the first person that got to me, I don't think it was Kenny Hibbett or somebody... I'm looking round, and I'm actually saying there's somebody in the crowd. Who's shot? I was looking for somebody in the crowd with a gun. Yeah. With, a, with a rifle or something, because yeah. that's what I heard. I didn't yeah. realise what I'd done, actually. So I didn't feel excruciating pain as such. I just felt, what's going on? Then I suddenly couldn't realise, oh, I couldn't, couldn't move. So they got, uh, they got me to the side of the pitch. And I didn't realise what I'd done till half-time, actually, when... Um, They'd left me there for 20 minutes. I was in on the, the one treatment table in the away dressing room under the, the old Watford stand. Yeah. And um, everybody left me. The doctor then came down at half time, felt the back of my ankle and said, those words you don't want to hear as a player, oh, there's nothing there. Yeah. So it oh, virtually God. torn completely. Yeah. And if you don't get the op within about 24 hours, you're completely snookered. Yeah. So, oh, God. So, fortunately, I had the... They got me in a car. I think it was our doc that organised it. Um, doc Tweddle, who's 
who we've lost now, actually, lovely man. And um, he, they got me in a car to go, and I had it done in London the following day on the Sunday. Right, and that that kind of rehab from that that was was that it was obviously you want to get back to your fitness the, to where you were those those same levels. But did you know quite early on through that rehab that you, it wasn't it was going to be a lot harder than what you thought or not? not no, quite? no, I just I, they they just said, well, yeah, it's going to take you six months. Right, and literally six months to then. So it was the beginning of May, probably the beginning of December. I played, I started playing games probably November. Right. At Man, I got got fit at Man City. Yeah. Um, it was at a time when, unfortunately, I'd been nine years at the club. That the club had, the club was imploding. Unfortunately, yeah. You know the, the owners of the club and and everything. The club had gone bump in eighty two. It was due to go again in eighty six. Um, we got relegated from Division One, which is the Premier League now, and then went all the way through from one to two to three to four, and nearly into non-league, yeah. which was unthinkable, unth- really, from just a f- short time ago when Wolves were in Europe, um, got to the final of the UEFA Cup, and then just literally a sh- decade before that had won the, the FA Cup, and then for the 50s been really recognised as the best team in Europe or the world, even. Uh, So for us to go, threatened to go out of existence in the 80s was a really tough time, you know, for everybody concerned with the club. Yeah, we'll come back to some of that when we get into our show properly in just a moment. Um, You went on to become an agent. Is it true that you looked after Benito Carboni and Fabrizio Ravinelli? It is, yeah. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I used to play Carboni at pool, and he d- he didn't like it if he lost. Uh, but he's great guy, great guy, very great character. Saw him score one of the best hat tricks I've ever seen at Villa Park against Leeds once. And um, no, very very talented player. John Gregory was the manager at the time, but uh, yeah, I helped Benny was it when he was at Villa. Um, with so you didn't, his, his Itali- you didn't bring him to England. No, I was the like the English agent that I worked with the uh, a guy who was the Italian agent. So I, I that's how I helped with Fabrizio Ravanelli and um, quite a few. I, we took to to West Brom, fully enough. Enzo Maresca. Enzo Maresca. I was the English agent that that did all did everything with you know did the deals and everything and um, and helped helped the players, which was with the big thing. But you didn't really need to help somebody like Carboni. He was already established, great attitude. And Fabrizio, and, uh, Fabrizio Ravanelli was, was the ultimate professional. He was great attitude, and you could learn such a lot. Because there are different types of agents, I guess. So were you like... Because um, uh, I, I talked to people like Lee Naylor, who's been on the programme, and he talked a little bit about it and stuff. And uh, Michael Kitely, I know, wants to look into it, where they're kind of like, they want to guide players more than just kind of be the big hot shot that comes in and does the big deals kind of thing was that your level because yeah, you, you, well, you were being an independent financial advisor at times as well yeah I was more of a a mentor I think I was talking to uh, to Chris before we, we've come on air and um, yeah the big thing that I love doing is what I do now which is really empowering the kids to be the best that they can be so that if they've got the potential to play for their country or, or in the Premier League, for instance, and they're only in non-league or Div 2, Div 1 championship, that I got the biggest kick out of getting them up levels. Mm. 
you know, which I did with quite a few players. Some are still playing. Yeah. Um, you know, I've mentioned Mikel Antonio. I helped him when he was he first saw Mikel play for Tootin and Mitchum Brilliant. in London. Yeah. Then he went before he went to, uh, you know, did the deal to take him to Reading and and what have you. And then there were other players uh, that are probably still playing now, like Lukas Jukovic at Blues. He was a young lad in the Swindon youth team, and the first thing I, you know, we, we helped him, guided him, gave him some uh, advice, even on the physical physical side. Yeah. So I, you know, a lot I know a lot about physical stuff, nutrition. So is that you? That's he knows a lot about nutrition. A place for them then, Mel, and, and, and then and then really how to think about it, so that they could. They've got more control than they think they have. It's not just oh well, it depends what club I'm at. It depends what the manager thinks of me. No, you. It's what you do. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, within within a short, relatively short space of time, it goes to d- trip up uh, to Everton. David Moyes signs him for a million pounds from Swindon, and then he's gone on. Didn't make. Didn't quite make it there because. But he's he's found his level and he's great guy, great attitude, and has a smashing career, hasn't he? Yeah, mm. spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of fascinating. The one thing that um, you were talking to Looms about before, um, you seem to help out West Brom an awful lot, Mel, and uh, you haven't done a single deal with Wolves. No, but that was more to do. What's that all about? Hmm? That was, <laughs> I think, that was more to do with the with the personnel at the club at the time. You know, without going names, it's just a matter of. It wasn't because I didn't put various things to Wolves. But we couldn't deal with them. So you just thought you'd help out West Brom instead, yeah? In fact, mm-hmm. I know even with them, even with when we're taking Enzo Maresca there at the time, uh, Paul Thompson was the, was the chairman. That helped them because he, we bought him there for, for, on a free transfer because of the rules at the time. And um, he went eighteen months later for four and a half million. So that was that helped West Brom virtually build off their East Stand. Yeah. So when you're saying about, I guess it's the personnel. Like, I don't, I don't quite get it because if Wolves, that that player would come and make Wolves a better, a better yeah. team. Yeah. So why, why then wouldn't, wouldn't they bring that player in if you you bring that player to the the club? Because sir, the. You look, the managers at the time dealt with their own agents. Ah, right, okay. So, which is, but, is, even, even today, which, which can happen. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, they, if people have got their own agenda, then it's not easy. Yeah, understand that. So, yeah. um, and it's it's basically just human nature. Is it so slightly have, different now because of like lots of clubs have invested heavily in recruitment teams and yeah. sporting directors and stuff. Yeah, it's, it, there's still going to be human nature that you'll de- you'll, you'll you you deal with people that you get on with and you've got a, a relationship with. But um, I think it's become far more um, far more professional now. Well, the need to be because of the money in the game. As far as recruitment is concerned, they've got far more recru- uh, people on the recruitment team than there were 20, 30 years ago, because it's just a bigger game. The Premier League. The Premier League is uh, is massive now, massive brand, and um, it is what it is. You've got far more people on the staff 
in the recruitment side is a massive, really important to get that right. Um, you've got the the teams that aid the the manager. From when I played, you've got the manager, maybe an assistant or the coach, the physio, the kit man, maybe the youth team coach. That was about it. <laughs> now you've got probably 50, 100, 100 staff yeah. from sports scientists. You know, we didn't have a sports scientist, you had a physio, physio and the manager, that was it. They they did all the sports science. I remember Brian Clough saying once, said, "Oh, we've got this uh, these heart monitors. We've got to, or we've got the we can check how far somebody's run. We can do this now." And he's oh, well, I could tell that anyway. You see, yeah. but um, in other words, if I've got a but it's a Donny Alp. If I've got a a lad comes into me and says, "Well, why I'm doing as much as so and so? Why why aren't I getting a game?" I'd just say, well, yeah, well, it's it's basically my decision. I don't think you're doing enough. But all that would do now is just reinforce what I know anyway. Yeah. So I can give him the stats. Yeah. But um, said a good manager know, knows all that anyway. You, you must have done some, uh, a lot of travelling then. I think nowadays it's with the obviously the. The, the the systems that you've got the the technical side of it the, you can watch things but you must have had to go and watch a lot yeah, of no, games I, I, and scout and I literally as an agent I I remember the once when I got a call in just before lunchtime or late late morning there was a game on and about seeing a player because yeah. I work with a lot of the foreign agents as well got good friends still and um, I think nothing had just boom seeing if we could get a get a flight because he was playing on the night so I'd fly out to Holland or Belgium or whatever if it was if it was doable I'd just straight in there get on the flight do it stay overnight come back yeah. that was it so whereas now you'd probably just look at the uh, look at the stats and look at the clips and look at the film to see somebody yeah. play but you couldn't then so you, you know you, you were more kind of hands on and Look and following your own instinct about what what a player what a player could do, and I remember sp- talking about assessing players. I remember sp- sitting in the stand once watching a game, and one of the top top scouts and been around the block many years. He says, "Well, what do you look for in uh, when you assess a player?" He says, "No, he says it's not what they look like. How do they affect the game?" Just look, end result, how do they affect the game? Because some players will be more pleasing on the eye, but I've got no end product. Yeah. It says, yeah. and some players you'll think, oh, he looks a bit awkward and whatever. Yeah, but what does he do? What does he do? How does he affect the game? So that's, that's all you've got to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never forgotten that. Yeah. Because some players can look the part, do 25 step overs, but you're thinking, what's it, how's he affecting the game? Brought, yeah. But what's somebody can play one, two, I think it was a bit like. Um, if you weren't watching closely, you just look at when Wolves played Liverpool, Firmino probably did, doesn't get the um, the appreciation from you from the average fan, from the most fans, as the outstanding one because Salah, when he gets the ball, is really good on the ball and can run with it really well. Mane is not. He's electric, isn't he? Pace and yeah. takes people on and goes past people. But Firmino doesn't do that so much. Doesn't go on runs. 
But his work is different because very intelligent player. I mean, his goal, and that was the thing, he just got one chance. Well, he'd had a chance before, but then that chance towards the end of the game, um, when Liverpool were just about doing enough to get a point, let alone win it, um, Wolves were really unfortunate. Any other time, you know, you'd pick up, well, at least a point, but probably three. And then he's just got in a situation where he's weighed it up in a split second, one touch finish. And that's it. That's what good players do. But he's done it that often that it's not a fluke, is it? Yeah. In the world, you know, he was the difference that he scored the vital goals at the at the right time in the World Club Championships and the different things. So yeah. you're looking end product. What does he do? How do they affect the game? Yeah. Um, and uh, so you get some players that look awkward, but like Chris Wellway. And uh, like Meleves, that you've got to look what they do, you know, off the ball. Yeah. As, and and there, are th- there are four things that you look for a player. So it's when he's got the ball, what does he do? Which is the obvious one, which everybody can see. Yeah. Then it's what does he do when his team have got the ball, but he hasn't? What's his runs like? How does he affect everything else? Is he making himself available? Is he running off the ball? Is, is he aware of what, what the team are trying to do? Then when the opposition have got the ball, what does he do uh, in general? And then what does he do when it's virtually one-on-one? So Chris Ubalomo's coming up with me, or I've got to mark Chris from a free kick. How do I handle it? Yeah. Yeah? So that you've got your, your one-on-one stuff and then your general stuff. So there's four areas. Yeah. And a lot of players forget it. They forget all that because... Um, you know, you can see them. I've I've helped loads of players that have not done it, but I've I've actually impressed on them, but they won't have it. Oh well, I'm the best player at the club. I can do twenty five thousand KP uppies. I could never do that. But I'm thinking, well, what's the point of doing that? You're never going to get a chance to do that on a match in a match, are you? Because yeah, yeah. you you usually have. We're used to that, Chris. We usually have a six foot two, three four. Yeah, centre back. Centre back coming through the back of you. Elbowing you, nutting your back of your head, yeah. uh, putting you off in any way that he can. So you try doing twenty-five, uh, like fancy Dan keepy uppies. If you've got that pressure, you're not going to do it, no, are you? No. And it's not going to lead to anything. No, spot on. But so, yes, you can be the most skillful person on the ball, and you might have some end product. But if you don't do the other three areas, you work your socks off when the team hasn't got the ball. You do your job. You do your job. You can defend one on one to a point. I don't expect you to be the best defender in the team, but I expect you to do your, you know, your work at it, and you do everything that you can. And this is why I, I commend people like Adam Traore, for instance, because we know how good he is. You know, he's got blistering pace. He's he's. He's decent on the ball, but sometimes you didn't know what the end product was going to be. Yeah, and sometimes he probably didn't. But he's worked at his game. He's then he then can now play wing back, and he's learned how to defend as well, do the job for the team instead of thinking, well, oh, it's the. Def-. I'm not saying it was, but outstanding players on the ball can sometimes think, well, I've I've done my my job is only when I get the ball. Yeah. So I've then I've got to wait for the rest of the team to get me the ball again, so I can show how, what I can do. Yeah. But he's he's become such a good team player. Yeah. You know mm. now, and that's the difference I think. 
and that's all credit to the coaching co- staff. Coaching, ha- isn't it? Being How many keepy ups could you do? As many as you want. Keep going. Like <laughs> 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 you say, like Mel said, you don't you don't use it in games. I was, I was, I was headed and kick it in the game. Is that this your, is, is, that this is Mel's phone? phone? Is your phone this is an absolute disgrace, Mel Eves. I'll go and switch it up. <laughs> this is unbelievable. I, I can't believe that my phone's gone off. Oh, my word. That's a fine. That's a we, we've note. never had that before. You bring the cakes in next That is a me. fine. Oh, my word. I'll switch it up. Was it someone important? Was it a big deal? Oh, Were you trying to do a deal what's here? What's going on? It's transfer. We've only got another day to go, man. What's going on? As I say, I don't do the agency <laughs> stuff now, so it isn't actually. Otherwise, I would have had to said, I'd have said to you before, um, look, it is near the deadline, guys. I'm going to keep my phone on there so that I can see if anything lights up. I'm going to have to take it, you see. <laughs> but no, no. It's not. It's not. Those days have, have long gone. As I say, I haven't been a. By the time this episode goes out, for five uh, it'll years, be man. long after the deadline's gone. But there you go. There's a little insight for you. We're recording this just before the transfer deadline. And you were going to try and come for me again about keep you up. Why is it you want to come for me? And I don't. Wasn't I was just asking a question. As many as you want. As many as you want. Yeah. This is a video. You, usually just Josh, keep, usually this is a video we're going to have to make at some point. Where you just going to take going, looms you outside. Going, you get that bored of doing it, then you, you start doing little tricks and messing around, and then it goes. But you ask most players, they'll just keep going. Right. We've got loads more to get to with Mel when we get into the show properly in just a minute. As ever, we send our thanks to the Blythe Group who back uh, power the Old Gold Club and Wolves TV Match Day Live uh, this season. Um, as ever, if there's anything you want us to talk about on this part of the show oldgoldclub at wolves.co.uk and if you can do uh, give us a review and rating on iTunes and wherever else that you listen to this podcast we really appreciate it and at some point we might do some kind of giveaway or something or you know I'll, I'll get I'll get someone a get t-shirt some and then they can take a picture of themselves and never send it to me and you know what I'll make a big, I have to make a big deal of this bloody picture now so yeah it's there I'm too busy doing like night feeds and that at the minute. To like, there's that many baby pictures going on. I'll just get uh, and the fact that that's what I mean. There's a lot of baby pictures going out she there. Asked but, the, she has the eardrop. You'll see it. You know what? It'll get its own little post. Just that little top. All right. Just for you, Mikey. You'll be tagged in it with a little blue love heart. <laughs> I'll put his full name on as well, and just you know what? Because Michael, Michael Lewaluna, yeah. Not well, Rome, Christopher, Michael. It's Michael. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're into the show after you've heard from the Black Group. This season, the Old Gold Club and Wolves TV Match Day Live are powered by Blythe Group. An industry-leading construction company and family-run business since 1982, driving investment and infrastructure across the UK. Blythe Group's mission is to provide an unrivaled service based on innovative, bespoke building solutions and comprehensive customer support. If you're a skilled tradesperson and you want to join the team that powers our team, contact their bases in Wolverhampton, Manchester or Maidenhead via theblythegroup.co.uk. Blythe Group. Big enough to deliver, small enough to care. Match days at Molyneux are always special. Ruben Neves to strike it! Ruben Neves! Ruben Neves! Ruben Neves! With an unbelievable hit! And now you can make a real 
day of it with the new official Wolves Fan Zone. Kick off every home Premier League match with big screen entertainment, games, visits from former players and even a licensed bar on the Wanderer car park. Oh, you The official Wolves Fan Zone, be a part of it. Welcome along to the Old Gold Club. I'm Mikey Burrows. Alongside me, as ever, is Chris Wellamo. In this episode, we're joined by a man who made 214 appearances over nine years, putting him joint 71st on the all-time appearance list and also 53 goals, which is joint 31st on the all-time scoring list. Welcome to the Old Gold Club, Melvin James Eaves. Well, thank you, Michael Burrows. <laughs> uh, normally, when people come on this program, people will know by now that I do give the full name, but I always call you Melvin anyway. Yes, I th- the one person that did call me Melvin was, was my mother. <laughs> but when she called me Melvin, it was because my, my mother's uh, from North Wales, from Carnarvon. Yeah. And um, whenever she called, whenever you heard the name, or, or she said, uh, Melvin, you knew you were in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I but, say, were you, were you always uh, a Wolves fan then, growing up? I was, yeah. I was born in, into a Wolves supporting family. I was born in a little fishing village between Wolverhampton and Warsaw called Darleston. And, um, yeah, my family supported Wolves. And you can check I was born in, in, at a time when Wolves were probably the best team in in the country right. uh, in Europe and in the world and um, I've probably got in my DNA uh, people talking about Stan Cullis, Billy Wright uh, Bert Williams and all, you know, Peter Broadbent all the great Wolves players so uh, I think subconsciously that was going in all the time Yeah. so uh, so it was great, yes I was I was born into a, a wolf supporting family. So how did it all come about? How did that you joining wolves come about? Um, I think, I, well, I, I then moved from Darleston when I was about seven, uh, moved from school because my dad kept, kept a pub, then moved to Wensfield, which is in Wolverhampton, and um, uh, into another pub there. Uh, and I played for my local junior school, Weldon Avenue, and then I went from there to, again, play when I went to my senior school, which was uh, Wolverhampton Grammar School. And uh, I then played for the county, and I played for England Schoolboys. And um, a lovely man uh, who we've lost now, but was absolute stalwart for Wolves legend, uh, Joe Gardner was the chief scout. And Joe invited me down to just train... Tuesday and Thursday nights, it was in the, the old gym, which was a, above the uh, the social club, which is now, which isn't there now. It's a car park now. I think I just parked my car virtually where it was. <laughs> and um, and then you'd get asked to, I remember I get asked to play in the youth team. And uh, my only game for Wolves youth team the proper youth, full youth team was in the FA Cup third round when the club had to get permission it's all changed now had to get permission from the headmaster of my school for for, for me to have half a day off because it was in the week yeah. and we were up playing at White Hart Lane and 
Glenn Hoddle, and I think there were five of the Spurs players went on to play first team, including Hoddle, of, of course, and um, five of the Wolves team went on to make the first team as well, including myself. So yeah. that was it was a really good game, which we ended up losing 3-1, but it was 2-1 for about... We were really on the offensive, trying to get back into it to get it to 2-2, and then I think Spurs scored on a breakaway in the last minute, which yeah. made it look a bit... Who was know, in that team with you then? Of people like Kenny Todd, George Berry, Bob Hazel, uh, Jerry O'Hara, you know, so it was, you know, really good, really good lads that uh, went on. But that they had people like Chris Galvin and... and uh, Hoddle himself. There were quite a few players that went on to make, um, you know, play for Spurs as well. So it was it was it was great. And then, then the the only other time, like my final kind of um, uh, trial game, really, was a reserve game here at Molyneux, and it was against Leeds United, three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and. At the same time, Wolves' first team were playing at Ellen Road in in the top division, Division 1. And um, there were probably about a couple of thousand watching the reserve game. Probably quite a few hundred coming, my mates coming to watch me yeah, yeah. from school and everything. And then um, I remember I came into the dressing room and they said, oh, you're no number 10. And next to it, number 11 was somebody that I'd watched for 10 years from the North Bank. An absolute god and a hero, Dave Wagstaff. So I've come in and I'm thinking, oh my word. And Waggy was just sitting there. He hadn't got changed. And it was like two o'clock and quarter past two, he's trying to slowly start getting changed. Waggy hadn't changed. Then um, I'm thinking, do I call him... Mr. Wagstaff, or do I call him Sir? Because any like authority or teachers or whatever <laughs> yeah. in my school, you call them Sir or Mister, whatever the name was. So I can't call him Waggy or Dave, can I? You know. And uh, but quarter to ten to ten to three, we're kicking off at three o'clock. I'm fully changed, um, but we didn't go out before the game. Then you only went out six or seven minutes before and did a bit of a. You do, do some stretches in the dressing room, but that was how it was. Yeah, a little kick around. Yeah, kick around. <laughs> yeah, in the dressing room. So, anyway, I, I walked into the, uh, the... There was a sauna area where the showers were and the toilets and the baths, and there was a big bath then, but there was then individual baths as well. So I walked into there, and Waggy's leaning against the wall, and he's saying, could you just stop there, lad? So I course, I'm frozen, Got an order from Dave Wagstaff himself. Could you stop there, lad, please? In other words, I've got to stop there so that I could see the dressing room. So I could see, and Brian Owen was the the second was the manager for the reserves at the time. He's saying, just stay there. And then his left hand came up. He'd got a fag on, hadn't he? This was his pre Waggy's pre-match warm-up was his fag for the reserve game because he was just coming back from injury. So he was. He's obviously just having a reserve outing. And uh, it it must have seemed like a few minutes, but it's probably only 20, 30 seconds, but it seemed like an eternity to me. And he's kept looking at me. He's going, is it all right? 
And I'm going, <laughs> I'm going, I'm watching there, waiting for somebody to come. As if, you are keeping an eye I, on I, I, I was his lookout. <laughs> I was his lookout, Waggy's lookout. And, uh, and then after, then he's he's just got like that, ditched his, uh, ditched his fag and then can't come out. But I've not seen him do a, a warm-up, a stretch or anything. And then we went out to play. Of course, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to impress because I'm thinking this is my big chance. I've got to try and impress because I want to get a contract. And um, so I'm, I'm making a run. And I haven't seen him do anything. And uh, he gets the ball. I've made this run on the inside left position, uh, Chris, and uh, he's right out in the wing. No backlift whatsoever with his left foot. Pings it. About 40 yards, it goes like an absolute exocet. I don't break my stride at all, and it's right on the end of my foot. And for once, I actually control it. I'm thinking, <laughs> and it just suddenly dawned on me, oh, my word. You don't get that in school football. And I thought I could play. I thought, And I just realised, oh, my word. Then about 10 or 15 minutes later, I've made a run inside right position. And I've just put my hand up as if to say, if you can float it over the, get it over the defender, I could be in like a, a longer ball. So again, virtually no backlift, ping this, and it's gone soaring, and it's tempted the centre half to head it, but it's he can't, and it's just gone over him, and I've just took it on my chest down, and I've got a shot in this time, didn't score, but I got a shot in, and uh, and I'm thinking, oh my word, I just realised how good. And the difference between the pros and and enthusiastic kids like me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you had to be patient, didn't you, to get that well, first team opportunity, really, after you joined? Yeah, because I was because I'd missed two years, my own choice, or I didn't get asked. But I, two years, I didn't join as a sixteen-year-old apprentice, which you'd usually, if you were, you know, you were looking good, you might get little um, chances before it's. 17, 18, 19, what have you. But I was 18, probably nearly 19, because I got a September birthday before I joined and became a full-time pro. So the first six months, really, I was I was literally getting as fit as everybody else because I didn't realise how fit you had to be. Yeah. And then, so for the first year, and then the second part of my first season, I got up to the fitness level, so they, I got another contract because I only got a one-year contract then. Then I got another one. Then I got established in the reserves, became the top scorer. But then every time you thought, oh, Mel, you're going to get a chance, they'd go out and spend a few hundred grand, which is like spending 10 or 20 million now. But they'd go and buy somebody that was ready-made. But I knew that I wasn't quite ready yet. Mm. But you've got to remember, Wolves were a top top side then in the top division. So, and they would, they would, they'd got a lot of, lot of strikers to choose from as well. But eventually, I did get my chance. I, but before that, the, the nearest I got to it, I was sub the season before um, at Nottingham Forest. And there was only one sub then, Chris, not seven. Right, okay. yeah. yeah, one sub, and I was at Nottingham Forest. I got asked to warm up about three or four times. I never got on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, well, I've gone there. You're thinking you got a chance to get on. Never, have a chance. I never got on. <laughs> I'm thinking, A, somebody didn't get injured, or B, you kind of, well, th- throw him on because it's, uh, give him 10 or 15 minutes. No. Because when you did get a chance, 
Um, when you scored your first goal, you scored for three games in a row. Yeah. So it was... Chelsea, Man United, Villa. Correct. In that order. Not bad. Yeah, so we'll backtrack. My first game was against Ipswich Town here in November 77. Yeah. I'd eventually got the chance. I was 21. So I'm a late starter, really. Um, so I'm 21 when I get my chance um, starting the first team. No goals against Ipswich. I played up front with John Riches. That's another one. I'm talking about Wagstaff. I didn't know till the Friday lunchtime when they come, when the reserve manager, which was um, Sammy Chung, Sammy Chung would come and pin the team sheet in the first team dressing room after training on the Friday morning to say, what are you doing? So he pins 12 people. I'm on the sheet, number 10, I think it was. And John Richards, I was playing up front with John Richards, who I'd watched again. Again, yeah. You know, I'd watched... Uh, pretty well all of Richards' games, and he was another idol of mine. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm playing up front with John Richards. It was surreal. It was. It was absolutely... Can, can I Can I ask, was it? Did, was there more pressure on you being a Wolves fan and a local boy? Uh, and even though it must have been frustrating because you had to wait for your chance, obviously, behind John Richards, Bobby Gold and yeah. Alan, Sundl- Alan Sunderland. Well, that's right. You had so, people like Alan Sunderland who then went on to do it, to be have a great um, time at, at Arsenal. Yeah, in front of me then and, and, and what have you and Bobby Gould yeah. and what have you so now there were some absolutely top draw strikers here yeah. you said yourself that you were what you were top goal scorers in the reserves and there's obviously everyone wants the local boy to come through and do well there must be a, a murmur in there of this, mm. we've got a young talent here coming through did you not think you know just throw me in there was was it was it frustrating actually having to wait and bide your time it was it was it was um, and sometimes I I remember one of the one of the senior pros and, and one of the um, one of the coaches actually pulling me aside once and just saying because I, I did get a bit frustrated. Oh, when am I going to get me? You know, I was throwing my toys out the pram a little bit, yeah. and I can see it now. So I was I was reacting a little bit instead of being um, what I call responding appropriately. You know, and I was getting a little bit frustrated because you think you're going to get a chance, and then suddenly they'd buy somebody and think, oh. You know, when am I going to get? To, am I going to have to go? You didn't do it so much then about going on loan to places. I prob now I probably would have gone on loan to to somewhere to play. Yeah, but um, we you, it, it it wasn't really the thing to do then because mm-hmm. the reserves was such a good um, grounding for lads to come through. Um, whereas the under twenty threes, I think now is. But they actually get players on loan more, don't they now? Yeah. Yeah, so it's the times have changed. But, um, yeah, I did get a bit frustrated that I wasn't getting a chance. But, but... That, that point that Looms makes about being the local boy, did mm. you feel that? Because, you know, people... There is that inherent thing of people want the local kid to do, d- to do well. I didn't feel it at all, actually, Mikey, thinking about it. I didn't feel as though... Sorry, I didn't feel a bit... I didn't, didn't feel... At all. So it may be now. I know that the the fans love a local lad and they love to sing. Yeah, he's one of our own. But um, I don't think that was the thing then. I think you did have more local lads because it, it's it's now going. To, 
it's a, it's an international game. The Premier League is worldwide, so every player in the world wants to. Um, but the thing is, there wasn't to play like, at the top level. When it, well, I mean, you might be able to tell me different, but from the interviews that we've done with guys, like you know, obviously John Richards was northern and came down. Kenny Hibbert. Um, the only one I can really think of, I guess, uh, I guess Phil Parks and um, Jeff Palmer mm. were kind of the only real local guys, weren't they? Yeah, well, Lofty was come from West Brom. He was a West Brom fan as he grew up, which is natural. Um, Jeff was a big Wolves fan from Canuck, and I'm local as well, so and a Wolves fan. But that's what I mean. Like it was kind of the three of you, really, because everybody yeah. else had kind of been drawn in from other areas of England. Yeah, yeah. So there were there, there were lads from all over. We had the Scottish. You always had, you always had the Scottish contingent. The some Irish lads, yeah. uh, uh, English lads from from all from all over. With it. and it was there was a, there was a lot of great great banter, and it was banter. You know, you, you'd um, you get a great camaraderie. See there, you said they're obviously growing up. Wolves were one of the best team in the country and in, in Europe in the world. But then you you kind of joined that elite nineteen eighty you know the league cup and then obviously going and how did that feel actually getting to that level yourself a team that you supported all your life that must have been a massive achievement and very give yourself a tap a, a pat in the back or not yeah no no I think it, it it just because because you had to work so hard to actually get in the team I was always I was always aware that. I didn't take anything for granted. Right. You know, that you'd got to keep working and improving yourself, otherwise you you, you might not get in. You know, because I didn't get in all, all, all the time. Um, you know, I played 214 games in nine seasons, so that's not... If I was playing all the time, I would have played more games. Probably should have played more games. But, um, you know, I was very pleased probably proud of what I was doing but I just I just kind of took I just kind of did it I didn't really kind of get carried away well if you just said it there you should have played so how did you feel you should have played more games why didn't you yeah because I didn't know what I know now I didn't really I didn't know what I know now I would have done more on in certain aspects you know I would have believed in myself more yeah um, I would have been more proactive I would have probably got myself even um, probably done more strength and conditioning earlier. I realised that later, but probably from 18 onwards, I probably would have would have done far more than I did. I did. Have, I had to do a fair amount because I was just I was like ten stone ringing wet and was being bullied off the ball really by yeah. centre backs mainly, and I had to get strong enough to to actually cope with the. With it, which took me a couple of seasons, probably. That's why I didn't get in till I was twenty-one. There's also an element, though, for you that um, I, I feel for you a little bit because by the time you'd kind of nailed down that spot and were having your best goal-scoring seasons and were the top goal scorer, yeah, the club fell apart. Yeah, <laughs> it was on the decline. Yeah, it was that. That was the that was the really disappointing thing, especially for me being. Um, for it coinciding with with me establishing myself um, in the team, as I say, having my best goal scoring season eighty two eighty three, where I um, where I scored nineteen goals, and then um, Andy Gray 
was in double figures along with Wayne Clark because we had the three of us. Um, uh, so then, so then, probably the following season when we knew that we just needed one or two players and we could really um, be a force again, um, the club fell apart and then players left, like um, Andy, for instance, who a few years earlier had come to the club, three, four years earlier, had come to the club as the most expensive player in British history, one and a half million. And then to be then sold to Everton for a sixth of the price, 250,000. And then to go on and achieve probably the, the in three or four, three seasons under Howard Kendall, the what they did, you know, win the cup, European cup, the league and what have you at for Everton was 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 crazy and you could see that the, all the players most of the players were were leaving they were trying to um, cut costs and uh, it was a crying shame at the time and you, as I say that that's probably the biggest regret is that um, we didn't kick on both for myself because I yeah. I was just coming to well here's the interesting point then because I guess that um, you know if you being a, being the fan that you were as well, the, the almost the impossible question of do you trade that moment at Wembley playing alongside Andy Gray to lift the League Cup if the Wolves turn around and say they didn't sign Andy Gray and they kept that money and maybe helped to pay off the new stands that they were building and whatnot and the club didn't have the decline it had? Would you have traded that trophy at Wembley for the club not dropping to the fourth division, I guess. Well, I don't, I, that's an impossible thing to answer. It and, and the, the yeah, th- I know. <laughs> that's the, why you asked. That's why, yeah, I know, Mikey. <laughs> the, 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 the thing is that um, the club used the money, used the money from um, obviously Steve Daly to buy Andy Gray. Yeah. So that was the only reason that they could, um, and I think that was that was great because we. We had a uh, Emlyn Hughes at the at the end of his career, where he could offer so much, but he was obviously losing a bit of pace, which we all do at the end. But um, his know-how, Andy Gray, and then the impetus, and then the the quality of the other lads that we had in the team as well, um, made for us being, and then the organisation that um, John Barnwell and Richie Barker uh, brought to the club. Everybody knew their jobs. It's a bit like, I mean, there is a there is a big similarity between the team, the seventy nine eighty team, and the the present Wolves team, in the way that the organisation, everybody knew what they were doing. We'd got players that on the day could win games. We got players on the day that could win the games forwards as well as Paul Bradshaw at the back, for instance, Emily News, George Berry in the centre backs. So we got players all over the pitch that could. That could dictate things. You've already had Kenny Hibbett, probably you know Kenny Hibbett, Willie Carr in the middle, top top draw players. So we've there are lots of similarities between this. I think between the seventy nine eighty team and the present Wolves team. It's just a thing, isn't it? It's like a, a a sliding doors moment, I guess. That if you when the club got that money in for Steve, if they don't spend that on Andy Gray and other players, what do you think would have happened? Would they have just survived and just been a bit mediocre, or would it? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's that's something that we'll never know, Mikey. The thing is that when I look at teams, uh, 
The teams that do well are the teams that have got it right from the very top, which I call the non-football side, all the way through to the football side, yeah. so that everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet. <clears throat> That's why I believe Wolves are doing well at the moment, is because you've got Fosen, then you've got um, Nuno and everything that he's doing, and every department, as well as the key one, these getting getting it right more times than you don't, is in the recruitment. So there are key key things there. But if if for instance the owners of the club suddenly decide that or something happens to them and they don't put the same investment in as exactly what happened to the Wolves in my time when it it wasn't anything to do with the manager and the players we were going great guns we just got the the you know the carpet was just pulled from underneath us because they'd got it wrong at the very, very top of the club, so they couldn't finance everything. And was that, So that was very evident then. So you get relegated, what, 80, 82, you get promoted, 83, score 19 goals, like you say, those goals come from, from three main individuals. And that season, 83, 84, it was very evident then that you were going down. Is yeah. That, so that what, the, so, so for the, the financial side, was that was very evident, even with the players going out there, the players, the collective that you had. The, yeah. Because it was it was after that that obviously, shortly into that that season eighty three eighty four, Andy went to Everton. They were trying to get me out. I eventually went ended up going on, to Huddersfield on loan, just to get people out the out the door. It was crazy. Um, John had already gone to Portugal. John yeah. Richards. Um, so I think Wayne Clark had gone to either I think Blues first before he went to Everton. You know, so there were there were. It was disintegrating. It was disintegrating. Instead of getting adding to the players that got us up in eighty two, eighty three, to just stabilise and do well in the, the the first division or the Premier League as it is now, um, it, we went totally the other way. So we could see it just wasn't right. It just wasn't right, and there was they got real problems, um, and that that's what can happen to clubs. Uh, but as I say, as long as and I don't. I'm not privy to what's happening. As long as Fosun are doing what um, you know they've intent they intend to do, then I think Wolves Wolves are going in the right direction. So, seeing what on what Mike is saying, there is the risk not worth the reward, isn't it? You know, because to to go out and actually go and win the cup, there's there's teams that have existed for 150 years. Well, yeah, that haven't. Yeah, look, I. I realise it's a difficult question. I'm just fascinated into Mel's mindset, I guess, of the of that element because you know there are few people, there are few Wolves fans. Every Wolves fan would dream of wearing the old gold at Wembley, and you got to do it. But then knowing what happened to the club afterwards, that's kind of the the impossible element to it. Well, the thing is that I only play. I went to first time I went to Wembley was in 1974, and I was still at school then. So I didn't join till '75, um, and that was to see Wolves beat Manchester City two-one in the in the League Cup. Kenny Hibbert, John Richards scored the goals. I then joined John Richards at Kenny Hibbert 
at the club. They then play in the 19... I play with them in the, the next time that I go to Wembley. So the second time I go to Wembley, I'm playing. It's brilliant. It's surreal. For a, for a kid that's brought up as a Wolves fan, he's got Wolves in his DNA. It's magical. Then when you come out of the dressing room, because we went on the Friday... Which we went down there, I think, on the Wednesday or Thursday morning to stay in a hotel, um, do some training nearer to, nearer to Wembley. And then on Friday, we went for a trip to the stadium, see the dressing room that we were changing in, um, get used to the surroundings, have a walk on the pitch, and then, then we went back to the hotel. But on the Saturday, because the game was on a Saturday... Uh, we come and then we're we're in the the uh it was a big corridor that goes out to the pitch and but we're behind the goals then yeah it's changed now the the old Wembley you come up come out be, behind the goals and uh we're there with Nottingham Forest who'd been there before they'd won it twice on the trot they're expected to win three on the trot uh um against us. Reigning European, reigning Europe, and then went on a two or three, a couple of months later to actually keep retain it, retain it which is just shows what a team that we were playing against. Cluffy's uh, outfit then, and then, um, but little did I know when we walked, when we came out, that's the Wolves' end, and what they didn't, what they don't prepare you for is the absolute noise that comes out. And when I mention it now, that hair stand on the back of your neck, you're thinking, you've got to win for these. Because it was it was so, um, just hit you. Hit you just uh, so emotionally. Um, when, you, when, when, when you're just literally about 10, 15 yards into the stadium, hits you. You can't... You don't, don't hear it really in the, uh, you know, in the corridor waiting to go out because it's a big, it is a big space. It's about thirty or forty yards before you actually get out there. And um, no, it was amazing, and it was surreal actually playing it, playing in the game itself. It just, uh, yeah. In essence, then your answer to that original question is you wouldn't trade that day for anything. No. <laughs> Which is fair enough. No, because I've only been to Wembley once. Fortunately, in front of 100,000 people, we won. And I played for my team. The Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group, official partner of Wolverhampton Wanderers. So that was a show on with the podcast. Um, it is fascinating. You know, you boys have just been talking about it there while we were kind of getting ready and set to go again of like the... The old Wembley, the it, it it's bonkers to me sometimes. Like it's part. I don't know whether you guys feel it because you're a lot older than I am. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's trying, isn't he? I'm desperately trying. Chris, he has to mention that because obviously, because I don't we, look, we don't look don't, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the element of like there are kids who kind of now who only know the new Wembley. And they don't know the old Wembley. And I mean, you were by the time like I was old enough to go, 
Like it wasn't. And I, I remember being there for an England game in 1994. David Platt scored the first time I ever went to that stadium. And like they weren't like proper seats down the bottom. It was just kind of the bottom half of it. But yeah. walking up like down the old Wembley Way to the Twin Towers, that's Wembley to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think everybody will have their memories. But um, that was mine. As I, as I first time I was at school, watched the, watched my team win. Second time I'm playing. <laughs> it's ridiculous, yeah. and so, it's 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 it is. This is schoolboy's dream come true. I always used to listen to stories from our dear dear old departed friend friend Foz, John Foz mm-hmm. Henley, who of course was our program editor for a long time. You boys both know him, and Mel knows him obviously from a long long time back. And he used to talk about um, the kind of the the stunned feeling that he had, like walking down Wembley Way with it all being gold and black and stuff. And we had a taste of it with the FA Cup semi-final mm. last year. And you just kind of, you need more of that. Playing in Europe has been the thing. The one thing that um, always gets me for Mel and makes me laugh so much, and I wind Mike Taylor up about it, is the fact that everywhere we go now, like the last time we won there in the top flight, Mel scored. So I always wind Mike Taylor up and say that he's got to make sure he's done his hair and everything right because he's going to end up on match of the day at some point because the camera will always pick Mel out in the press box. That must be a weird feeling for you, though. It, it is. It is weird. I mean, we, we've we got Man United again, haven't we, on Saturday? And, uh, yeah. I was the last player to score a winning goal at Old Trafford for Wolves, so hopefully, fingers crossed, that's another record that can go because we have got a brilliant chance. Not saying we're going to, but we're set up to um, to do it. So I'm really hoping that that's uh, that one's going to be put to bed as well. Well, no. By the time this goes out, whether it has happened or not, okay. but, people, but people will <laughs> <Fingers> know. <crossed. laughs> people will know that your view was that you were kind of happy to let those things go. Like you were the last Wolves player to score in Europe before Diogo Jota against Crusaders. Well, the thing is, it, I when we played in late seventies, early eighties, which I did, we I couldn't foresee. Nobody could foresee that that Wolves were going to have decades of not being yeah. in the top division or in Europe um, and competing, you know, with the top teams. Um, it just didn't compute because in my DNA, as, as we've already said, I was born at the time when Wolves were one of the leading clubs, if not the best club in the country um, and Europe. You know, we, we were the forerunners of the European competitions by taking on the best in the world. Um, Honved, for instance, were were actually the Hungarian national team, virtually that had that had beaten England six three with Pushkas and everybody, and they had eight or nine of the Hungarian team in there and in their lineup, and um, Wolves beat them. Um, you know they took on they beat Real Madrid. Who then went on to win the European Cup five times on the trot when it first when it was first launched, um, 
They beat Real Madrid 3-2 here at Molyneux. Went to uh, Madrid and drew 2-2. They were the first team ever that didn't get beaten. So they've been, you know, and people have to look at that and just hold it in the the context of what it was at the time. Do you worry then that because I say there is a part of you that's happy for your personal records to be eclipsed by the new generations that are coming, mm-hmm. but is there also a part of you that worries that the longer it goes and the more that happens? people will start to forget the older times because no. the fans who were there at the time will start to drift away and pass away. Look, everything everything is down to the players. Chris and I are absolutely blessed to have played a game that we loved. Um, now, you realise that you have your time. You can't... Can't take, can't take the clock back. We can reminisce. And we love reminiscing as ex-players, don't yeah. we? You know, nothing better than having a reminisce and pulling each, other, you know, pulling each other's leg, etc. But, um, but you're, yeah, you remember the good times. And, 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 but you can't dwell in the past. You have to be in the present. And then you have to be looking forward to the future. But the only time that you can get frustrated, fed up, is if you, you're actually thinking about the past or projecting the future and not being present. I'm, you have to be present all the time. I'm just giving you a bit of a lecture because that's what I do now. <laughs> you see, I, I actually, that's what I give seminars about, how to perform. And you can only perform if you're present or in the zone or in flow. That's what being present is. If you're worried about what's gone on in the past or holding too much storing this is what I used to do then that's when you'll get you'll you'll get tripped up so you've got to be present um and the time is now there's no better time to be a Wolves fan there's no better time if if I've spoken to um parents that have introduced their kids have come for the first time recently six you know five six seven when they first, you first start getting your recollections and, and really appreciating stuff. Before, that's probably a bit too young to appreciate what's going on. Yeah. But um, I said, oh, your, your lads or your little girl or your little boy is so blessed to be able to, the first, rec, uh, you know, appreciation or, of, of, of wolves now, they'll think this, is, this, this has been like this all the time. Yeah. Brilliant. They haven't had to go, hopefully then they won't, have to go through decades of, of, of not being in, the, in Europe and not com, uh, beating Manchester City, the champions, doing the double over them. Who would have said that a few years ago when we were in Division 1? Yeah. Just, just five years ago? Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. You know, how far the, the, the club has come. So I think it's just embracing everything. And as a Wolves fan, I'm just so pleased because my record's going as the last person to score in Europe, the last person to score. I remember speaking to um, Joe Martinia. I bumped into him just outside the media suite in, and uh, we'd just done a, a phone-in after the game when we beat Arsenal last year. And... Uh, the last time we'd beaten Arsenal here was 1979, 1-0 and I scored. 
And um, so that was another record gone. So I saw Joe Martini. I said, oh, I've just done the radio. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to uh, you know, to summarise and comment on you, uh, you know, joining. We're really grateful to that you, you know, that you're, that you're at the club. And he was the most modest, humble person you could wish to meet. If, if, if we didn't know who he was, you would never think he was like a superstar played over 100 games for Portugal. Um, he's, but his whole attitude was actually totally spot on for the player that he is because he's such a competitor when he plays. But he's so humble off the pitch. And if you could, if anybody, you could say, this is the role model for the kids coming through, it was him. There are loads of them, but I'm saying he, he was just just ticked all the boxes for me as a role model and yeah. and how to conduct yourself off the pitch. Well, that's another thing. I think that's why you you bring players in like that. As a manager, you've got to kind of give yourself a little pat on the back as well because you know what he does on the pitch, but what mm. he does off it, the way that he holds himself, mm. he leads by example. It's that, five foot seven of football, heaven that's, knows. Yeah, that's that quite, is what he it's, is. It's, it's infectious, isn't it, around the the dressing room? So yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Time for Looms's quick fire rundown. Just quick, whatever comes into your head, truth, honest answers, right? Best player that you played with at, at Wolves. Oh my word, there are so many. So oh, I, no, I just want one. I just want one mail. <sighs> Can you hear me? Worst trainer at the club? Paul Bradshaw. Biggest moaner? Peter Daniel. Who was your best friend at Wolves? Raphael Villazan. What? <laughs> and Colin Brazier. I, I need more on this. Talk to me. Well, Colin Brazier for longer, because I'm still friends with him now, but um, Raphael Villazan came as a... He was a Uruguayan international. And just... I just helped him, really, when he, was, when he first came in, whether he got changed near, near to me... And then his English wasn't that up to speed, but he started started to get it. And uh, I got friends with him. And then him and him and his wife, and me and my wife, we I just kind of introduced him to uh, the delights of Wolverhampton, yeah. which was great. So Rapper. I got really and I, and I'm friends on Facebook with him now. Yeah, there you go. Eh? There Turn you the go. So um, yeah, he was what. But yeah, I still see Colin now. Brilliant. He's 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 brilliant, yeah. Fantastic. And then obviously people who you you there, George Berry, Bob Aisle, I got on great with as well. Yeah. So there, there's lots of the lads that uh, we see, Jerry O'Hara. You know. That's gonna be a hard one, right? Best and worst dress sense. Oh. Dress sense. Yeah, Andy Gray was a bit snappy, so he was. He was probably. De- decent worst I don't know can't, I, I, I really can't think worst I was going to yeah just say it just throw them under the bus don't worry about it I don't know it might have been somebody like um, I don't know Blackie John Black might have been a bit old I don't know <laughs> right there you go. Uh, who was the funniest player that you played with at Wolves oh John Burridge by a million miles <laughs> I could I could do, you know, a lot of the lads, 
you know, you, Steve Daly, for instance, Steve Kinden, they're, they're by the living doing the after dinner t- stuff. And uh, I could do the after dinner just on being John Burridge's roommate and just tell stories. Nothing about me, just tell <laughs> stories about Budgie. Brilliant. Because he's the funniest man out. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The best manager that you worked for at Wolves? Oh, probably, obviously, got to be John Barnwell. But um, Graham Hawkins deserves a mention. Uh, Barney, we won so much with, and and we're so close to taking the team forward. Um, Sammy Chung was probably the best best coach. He gave me my first team debut, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it was there were there were all great guys actually, and, and I could take something out of it, every one of them. Yeah, um, quality. Best goal that you scored for Wolves. I've got there's important goals. Um I think the one I scored again at Man United, which we're talking about, you know, was was decent. Um the overhead kick against Swindon, which was vital for us ten minutes from time to get because we were it was one one, two one down from the first leg, semi final of the League Cup. Um and we needed to get a goal to keep ourselves in the in the in the in the tie. And uh so I scored an overhead kick from the corner of the box, which flew into the far corner, which was great. Done that's, that, done that as well, mate. That's uh, that made it. We were two one up, three three on aggregate, and then the king himself, John Richards, got the winner in extra times, which took us to Wembley. Brilliant. So that's probably the most important goal that I scored. What What would you say is the the best game that you were involved in for Wolves? Best game I was involved in. Well, obviously the the League Cup win yeah. at Wembley was was the pinnacle. Really, it was the best game I was involved in for loads of reasons. Yeah, um, probably not my best game, but I did a job. But um, yeah, it's got to be that one. Understandable. Okay, this. What would you say is your proudest moment at Wolves? Making my debut, I think. Just going out, just going out onto that pitch with um, you know twenty, thirty thousand, however many there were there, for, you know, for a first team debut, I think was uh, was probably the proudest moment. Um, obviously, walking out at Wembley, I've said there the hairs on the back of my neck, even when I think about it now. Um, but just just representing the club that I supported, I think was. Yeah. Was um, priceless. Spot on. Thanks for listening to the Old Gold Club, powered by Blythe Group. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and rating from wherever you get your podcasts. You've experienced the thrill of Molly you on a match day. Now go behind the scenes with our exclusive stadium tours. Taking you from the stands to the dressing room, see where Nuno and the team don the old goal and take your chance to walk out that famous tunnel into the Golden Palace. Book online for just £12 for adults, £7 for concessions, and you can even book your own private VIP tour for up to 20 people by emailing museum at wolves.co.uk. TV, the home of live uninterrupted radio commentary of every single Wolves game. 
But that's not all. Wolves TV also brings you extended and alternative match highlights, interviews with the team, behind-the-scenes features and training coverage, plus see every goal Wolves score from every angle. So check out Wolves TV online at wolves.co.uk or on the move via the Wolves app.